Hello and welcome to this, the 25th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, artistic director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar and this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland and thanks to that support we're able to bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never ever charge for these podcasts but we are looking for you to go and support Irish theatre Put your money where your mouth is and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And the most direct way for you to go and do that is just to go and buy yourself some theatre tickets, whether that's top price tickets to the Abbey or the Gate, maybe slightly cheaper tickets to one of the more fringe venues. Or do you know what? Even if tickets are out of your reach this week or this month, maybe check out a crowdsourcing website, the likes of a fund.ie and Indiegogo, all the rest of those. See if there's a theatre project there that you feel like you might like to support. Donations often start from as low as a fiver, and there are always great rewards in return for that donation but of course there are ways you can support without having to put your hand in your pocket do please go and tell people about this podcast whether that's in person over a coffee or a pint or maybe while you're driving to a theater somewhere around the country to see a production of the good father by christian o'reilly and um, of course you can always share the link as a facebook post or you can retweet the link on twitter all of that social media stuff really helps us out do please keep it going if you're enjoying these podcasts do please spread the word do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes those subscriptions are a huge help for us in terms of chart positions and for those of you who aren't in the Apple and iTunes family the the oldies podcasts are of course streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie do go back and listen to all the other episodes both in this second series and the original series from five years ago leave us a review on iTunes if you have a couple of minutes or if you've only got five seconds click to rate us on their five star rating system that's legit a one-click deal five seconds out of your day not a huge amount of us to ask of you do please follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland and of course you can follow us on twitter we are at rise ireland and it has been a busy week for us here on the road at rise towers we've been all over the length and breadth of the country this week bringing our magical little show around and it's been really lovely um we started off the week with a couple of nights up at the lyric theater in belfast uh, one of my favorite theaters in the country both to go and perform in uh, and produce work in but also just to go as an audience member i love their sunday matinees i love jumping on a bus going up, seeing friends in a Sunday matinee, having a couple of glasses of wine afterwards, and then jumping on the bus straight back down to Dublin afterwards, still at home by bedtime. It's all a magnificent thing. But it's uh, it's a really spectacular theatre. I think still in our minds down here in the south, we feel that the border is an impediment to going up and catching shows up there, while we might be maybe feel freer to go and see a show in Cork or in Galway or in Kilkenny or Limerick. Um, but the work that gets made in Belfast is absolutely world-class. Such a pleasure to be back up there and such a pleasure to be part of uh, such an important program you know it's the 50th anniversary of the lyric up there and that big lyric 50 program uh, it's a real treat to be part of that it means a lot to us uh, delighted to finally get back to the lyric for the first time i think since games people play back in 2015 um so wonderful to get back up there and then you know we've, we've still been around the country last night we were in 
Blanchardstown and just to see that audience leap to their feet the second the show ended is just it's really really gratifying I'm delighted for for Dan and Marie up there doing it and delighted for Christian as well that the work is still getting the response that it, it deserves um, yeah and as you listen to this we'll be heading off to Waterford to the Theatre Royal which I'm really looking forward to getting back to Ben Barnes of course running the show down there the man who gave me my start in the Abbey and then we'll be finishing up the week at uh, again one of my favourite venues in the country uh, Visual the GB Shaw in Carlo, Brian Burroughs territory. So it's been a hectic week. It's been a busy week, but uh, I, I like nothing better than being out on the road, bringing this show to as many people as possible. It fills my heart with a huge amount of joy. And speaking of things that fill my heart with a huge amount of joy, that brings us to our guest this week, who is none other than the brilliant Kieran Bagnall, a guy who I first worked with, uh, I guess, 10 years ago now on that phenomenal production of The Nose from Performance Corporation. That was just such an amazing experience, and Kieran did such an incredible job on the design on that show. He's a man I've got a huge amount of time for. As you'll hear from this chat, he's been a big fan of the podcast for quite some time. But I love the way he talks about how he creates his work, whether that's in set design or lighting design or both, as is often the case. He has an incredible approach to his craft and his artistry and how it ties into the storytelling of what we do in the world of theatre. So if we want to talk about storytelling, let's let the man tell his story. Here he is, the brilliant Kieran Bagnell. At long last, the wonderful Kieran Bagel on the podcast. How the hell are you, my friend? I'm very well, Engel. Very well. I'm very excited. This is a happy day for us all, isn't it? <laughs> I'm thrilled. Um, it's been a long time. I've been practising this first question for a long time now. <laughs> there is a, there's an element of competition, I feel, for ultimate superfan of the podcast. I think it's between you and Dr. Tanya Dean. Um, yes. It's interesting. We're both north of the border at the moment. Oh, yeah. um, so we should have some kind of celebrity death match to settle that at some point, possibly. We'll 100%, see. 100%. <laughs> We take, meet on the border. Take me back. Take me back to the very beginning. The very beginning. Where so, does it start for you? Now, I think I say I've been thinking about this since we spoke recently about doing this, which is amazing. Um, I have to be honest. The first step for me was on the boards. There we go. Now on we're talking the boards. Um, a school production of Carrots. The musical, which is a story of Dr. Bernardo and his the orphanages. And I played Dr. Bernardo's wife. In a very obvious piece of casting. Yes, of course, without the beard. But uh, I was 12, 12 or 13. It's in Joseph's High School in Newry. And it was directed by Donal O'Hallan and Mary McManus. Um, and yeah, they put me on stage as a girl in an all-boys school. And quite a, you know, a rough around the edges boy school and there did, I was with a bra and a skirt I'm so happy about this did, you, did your reputation survive it was it relentless bullying afterwards or was there any kind of begrudging admiration there was a weird I, I kind of blanked it I kind of blanked it my, my, fa- <laughs> my family were amazing my, my family my brother and his wife um, they weren't married at the time but they, they came I think they came to see every performance of it wow. we did like three two or three two or three shows um, and they, they, were, they, they were they were wonderful about it and I, and I do remember that first sort of, you know, the first show and going out and doing a bit and hearing the audience or, or the rest of our school uh, openly laugh. Um, but something else kicked in. I just sort of thought, oh, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll sing my songs and don't open my legs because I'm wearing a dress. <laughs> and uh, and it just sort of happened. And there was a photo that I had for a long time that I think I think I actually have misplaced um, for various reasons. Um, but that was sort of... That was the first sort of my first kind of interest in terms of um, in terms of theatre, in terms of being a part of that sort of industry. 
um, was at school. But actually, I think, and more been thinking about how this starts, I think I have an alarming con- sort of similarities to Jimmy Fay, actually. That's very in alarming for of, any of yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of, I was an altar boy. Oh, yeah, okay. So much as Jimmy, I know Jimmy and his podcast talked about that kind of starting that and this kind of ceremony of that. So I was, yes, yeah. yeah, so I would have been was 10 or 11, sort of being aware of that sort of sense of ceremony and audience and we're here and they're sat there. And I remember that sort of being an event. Um, but it never really kind of went on from that. And we did it for a couple of years. And then obviously I went to school and then became sort of part of this school production because at that time, before my voice broke, I could, I could sing. But I remember when we did this show, it was... Um, it's kind of it's, it's sort of a similar vibe to sort of Oliver, like kind of yeah. London, you know, scrappy kids and teacher, you know, the teacher, teacher figure and all this kind of stuff. But they had this thing where the lead character dies and comes back as a ghost. Um, and I remember Donald talking about we would have this reveal, this ghost reveal, would be part of the set that we would see this ghost on stage. And I remember kind of going, well, how how does that possibly? How would that ever work? And basically, what it was was a, was a gauze yeah. wall that you know this it was painted like brick and they lit behind. It. But I remember that the magic of that of just going, well, how can you make a ghost appear? And there and it being sort of very matter of fact. Oh well, we'll do it like this. this is how we do it in theatre. And I remember being fascinated about that effect and sort of climbing into this gauze wall and having to kind of have this urge to go and figure out. How does this work? What is this magic? What is what? Why is what? And climbing inside and seeing the light, and kind of seeing the gauze, and then kind of seeing the effect, and kind of going, okay, that that's really cool. That's that's really and that works. That's really cool. I just I just love the simplicity of it. Yeah. And how kind of matter of fact. Well, this is yeah. Well, and there we go. And that's a ghost. And that kind of something about that really kind of clicked or really stayed in my brain. Because um, after that, I mean, I didn't you know I, I had no interest in being an actor from that point. But I I just remember that moment of sort of starting on stage and then seeing then this idea of this sort of ghost effect was really caught me until then um maybe four or five years later mates of mine being asked to be part of this lighting team at the irish language drama festivals in uri in uri town hall and i was at a christian brothers school so the Irish language festivals, all the schools in the regions, which meant also all the girls' schools. Now we're talking. Regions. So that was sort of like any opportunity to kind of get out of this sort of <laughs> all testosterone environment um, to go and see what the other side looked like. Um, so I was like, yeah, totally sign me up. And a friend of mine, Kenny Duffy, uh, his brother was one of the sort of these sort of wizards of, of lighting. Um, yeah invited me to come along and join the sort of school lighting team. And that was the moment I went, oh, okay, wow, this this is this is extraordinary. Because um, I remember sort of we were sort of the team that a lot of the smaller schools or primary schools would come in and they would say to us, oh, well, can we, can we have, can we make it go red or can we make yeah. it to go blue or can we make it nighttime? And we were like, yeah, 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 totally. So much like, yeah, we can make a ghost. It was very much, yeah, we can do that. And people were just like, oh my God, that's amazing. And there was something that was like, this, and I thought, oh, yes, <laughs> this is this is amazing. And at the same time, I was sort of following a journey of painting, of art. So I was very much an arts sort of student yeah. uh, in terms of GCSE art and A-level art. And um, So there was something very, something linked very clearly in my brain between painting and light and how light was used as a painting would. And for me, it was kind of like, well, this is like, having a huge canvas that you can have 400 or 500 people at a time come and see. Then, you know, in an auditorium, I thought, well, this is extraordinary. And I could see, you know, in my terms of when I was studying A-level art, how light was so important to the great masters, Rembrandt and all these sort of people. And, and that was very, it was a very sort of 
obvious kind of choice for me to get that was sort of where I'd start to rather than going down the field of fine art or painting yes yeah. but that plus the plus the people yeah. the theater people um I just became obsessed by because that sort of from working on the drama festivals the Irish language dance festival sort of led in, ter- in terms of time of the year I think if, if my memory serves me they kind of segued quite nicely into the sort of the drama festival, sort of the amateur drama festival okay. circuits that sort of was and still is going very strong in that sort of region. Um, so I stayed on as a technician and helped with those and helped all these sort of um, the amateur dram- dramatic societies coming in with their shows and meeting all these wonderful people and sort of going to the pub, although it wasn't officially meant to be in there, <laughs> but I was into slapping it up in terms of the stories and these sort of weird characters, you know, these weird, strange almost carny folk of theatre yeah. people and this were going I love you guys you guys are amazing and talking to them talking about shows and this one show we did this and just lapping it up mm. lapping it up um, and then it became sort of I did that with day in and day out my, I, I'd go in my school uniform and I'd show up at the town hall and it was two the two caretakers were there I mean there's no full time technicians yeah. so it was quite an easy sort of environment for me to kind of embed myself into and, and they were like well as long as you're Careful up a ladder, etc. You know, work away. Like so, it was a playground. It was an absolute playground, and you got these people coming in, um, and I did that for quite a while. And then we had a touring um, production of Translations, greatest play of all time. Continue, play, absolutely. Um, done by Tinderbox, they had a company in Belfast at the time when they were sort of touring. They 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 went on to become a new writing company, and now even recent more recently, they've they've shifted shifted gear again, but. They toured this uh, production of Faith Theatre, um, nice. which um, which just blew me away. Actually, did I, I was talking about translations. Translations was what I saw at the Abbey. Sorry, to go back on myself. So the first show I ever saw professional theatre was at the Abbey, was the 1994 production of Translations. I can't remember if it was in the Peacock or the main stage, but getting back to Jimmy Fay. We found out, me myself and him, have found out recently um, that that was his first show that he was assistant director on. Wow. So equally to it being my first show in terms of professional, if you want to see something, it was Jimmy. So Jimmy's there with me in terms of this ultra boy experience and now this sort of connection with the Abbey. But they, they had this extraordinary thing where this, you know, there was a house in the first half and then you go away for the interval and you come back and they'd taken the roof off the set and there was a star cloth you know, behind it. And I remember coming into the auditorium and the night was on sky, was on stage. Yeah. It was nighttime. You know, I was just like, that's nighttime. That's, that's, that's night. That's the, you know. uh, and again, that much like that moment of kind of the, go, the ghost effect, just being absolutely blown away, blown away by it. Um, but sorry. So, yes, yeah, so that led then to working in the town hall in Uri and Faith Healer coming in with Tinderbox. Did. Um, and again, that kind of genre. So much, yeah, based around Freel again. The story, you know, the, the game of that started adding up in my head. Right, okay. What the game was, what this whole world, so building it up from Ghost Effect to what Lightning could do, to seeing that production at the Abbey, to the calibre of Faith Healer in terms yeah. of three actors not speaking to each other but still on stage saying long stories and how that, you know, this, this blew me away. So by the time I sort of, we'd finished all that, it was sort of about my time to sort of make decisions for university in terms of and I still was kind of battling the art side in terms of do I go to art college or do I go to theatre college and I found a brochure in the careers office for the Welsh College of Music and Drama um, and that was that was as I say 
that was it. I mean, I, I, I managed to, I, uh, I went over and I had an interview. And I remember earlier to that, a teacher talking about university choices and him saying, if I have one piece of advice for you, just go as far away as you can. Really? Yeah. He says, do this, don't, because a lot of, on that day, you know, a lot of my friends, we all came to Belfast, you know, they went to Queens. Yeah. Um, but he was very much, to get as far away as you can. And actually, at that time, it's sort of 96 97 there was no there's no leer yeah you know? of course yeah um there was no formal sort of theatrical training for what i knew i wanted to do at that point yes i by then i was very much clear i wanted to be um a lighting designer that was very strong in my mind and i i knew obviously there was there was trinity and there was galway but they were much more general drama yeah, yeah. degrees at that time but there weren't specific technical theater course and i find to say this course uh, in Cardiff, the Welsh College of Music and Drama, and that was it. That was it. That three ticks both boxes. Mm-hmm. So it allows me this adventure of, of getting out of Northern Ireland um, to go study and to, and to actually go into this sort of this th- environment that I knew would give me that sort of direct qualification for. And what was that experience like of, of packing up the bags and heading over? I mean, because it's, you know, it's, what is it, a 40-minute flight? But yet, at the same time, yeah. you know, from from mid-90s Belfast, that's going to be a bit of a change. It was, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, like, I remember my dad bringing me over with my car full. And I actually took, I took cereal with me. I took my cornflakes with me. Of course you did. Because I was like, well, I can't, you know, this is important to me. I can't, you can't be guaranteed if I go to Wales, <laughs> they're going to have cornflakes. Like, and that was just a gamble I just wasn't ready to take. So I packed them, everyone says, right, right, take your cornflakes with you. So I had boxes of cornflakes in my dad's car and my bowl and my favourite bowl and my spoon. Um, my dad drove me over, um, got into Cardiff, got to our house. We, st- we stayed overnight and my dad went back. He put 50 hand in my pocket, shook my hand and said, good luck. And off he went, right through the door. And that was it. And I was like, right, okay, here I am. Um, like I did, I was so green. Because like Newry, like we have one bus that sort of goes, does a loop of the town and it takes about 20 minutes. Sure. It doesn't matter what side of the road you stand on. You could still, you, know, you could jump in the bus and you either go the long way or you go the short way. Sure. Either way, it's 20 minutes in your day. It's fine. So I got to Cardiff. I had no idea what side of the road to stand on, but I was standing on the wrong, the totally wrong side of the, of the, bus, of the motorway that we were living on, thinking, oh, sure, I can just get any bus and sure, eventually it'll go back into town. You know, an hour and a half later, while we do the sort of <laughs> circuit of the Welsh Valleys, you end up back in Cardiff. I had no, I just totally no idea about all that stuff. So I had to find, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a steep learning curve. You learn, you learn very, you learn very fast um, with people laughing in the background of kind of, but I was up for it. And, and I, you know, I fell into a crowd, a wonderful group of people in, who had lived in the house with me. Some are still friends to this day. Um, but I was very aware that much like this experience, all my, most of my friends, I say, 80% of my friends at home, I was on my own. Yeah. I was totally on my own. Um, and learning what that, and just learning what that was. But I was very much, the people I lived with in the house, we lived in, they were everybody's in the same boat. You know, um, friend of mine, Mim Spencer, from she was from Derby, you know, so it was equally as long for her to get home than it would be for me to try to get home. Yeah. You know, so just that kind of learning to do your washing and all that, and cooking dinner, you know, because I'd never, never really... Yeah. Um, had to do that. My mum was, you know, was an extraordinary figure and did everything for us. And uh, yeah, there you go. Going. And in, in terms of the course then, how hands-on practical was it? How early? I mean, could you get in and get mucked in and start experimenting? Extreme, uh, extraordinary so. Yeah, you were first, I mean, it was, say, 
it was a vocation, very much a, voc- a vocational course. Um, there was only 14 of us, I think, in, in our year. And at that time, I'm not, I still think they keep the numbers quite small. Um, because of the nature of, the, of, of what, sure. what they're trying to teach us, it doesn't. It wouldn't really work to a big room. And was this exclusively lighting design, or incorporating set design as well, or it was stage management? Stage management, no less. It was stage okay. management, um, with the option to specialise. Sure. At that time, I mean, I know, I know, the '97 was the first year for uh, Rose Bridford to begin their sort of degree. Um, in lighting design, which was un- unheard of, that you could have a degree in lighting design. Yeah. Um, and that was an option, but I remember this being really sort of taken by Cardiff as a city and just instantly feeling at home when I got there. Um, but it was, yeah, the smaller, it's a much smaller group, and you were in Monday to Saturday, and they encouraged you to do work. You know, they had lots of links with the theatres and sort of... Um, conference centres and all that kind of stuff in and around the Cardiff yeah. area that everybody knew they all relied upon for um, crewing and you know, all that kind of stuff so I did you know the photo spot in St David's Hall for you know 30 quid a week type of thing yeah. um, and that's you know and that's what we survived and that's what they really sort of encouraged you know that we still had this very much hands on experience with the real world they were very clear that they weren't going to keep us in the sort of incubator and then just open the doors and push us out. <laughs> that they would have, you know, that they would have real people coming in um, and teaching us constantly, and also literally pushing us and go, "Well, go, well, what have you done?" You know, in between your sort of assessments or in between your um, your paperwork or whatever, they said, "Well, go out and get more experience and do this thing." And they're always up. If you, you know, if you said to them, "Listen, I'd love to go to London for a couple of weeks," you know, go, "Well, let's let's talk about it. We'll we'll work it out." You know, we'll really. Um, so it was, it was extraordinarily hands-on you know the whole way through and you kind of you took you know we took the same rules as the acting course in terms of you know if you're late don't bother coming in you know that kind of thing um so we were all very we worked for we worked we worked very hard we 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 had a great time um but we but we worked we worked very very hard you know through it and so then as as you finished up there and you go right okay let's get out into the big bad world Knowing that it's lighting design you wanted to do, had you specialised enough through the course to go, I can now go and do this? Or were you still looking at stage management avenues? Or what what happens first? Um, I sort of, I knew very much when I, when I went that um, I wanted to be a lighting designer. And I was really lucky at that. I had friends on that course that didn't, they kind of vaguely knew they wanted to do technical theatre. But I, I, I knew from day one that I wanted to be a lighting designer. And the way the course works is that the first year, Say it's sort of it was what's the name it stage management um, technical theatre stage management option um, and the first year then is kind of set that you do all aspects sure. within technical theatre so you do you do a bit of lighting you do a bit of sound you do a DSM ASM um, props making you do all these things and they do they ran sort of the, like two productions every term so you had like six. Six six options, I think, split between two groups. So you had three productions that you could do mm. each year. Um, and you picked what you wanted to do, and they kind of shuffled you about and said, well, we think you should do, you know, the, you'd be more adapted to this. If you didn't speak up, if you weren't sure. And I remember within the first few months, I felt I was kind of being pushed a certain way in terms of what the sort of placements I was getting on productions. And I went and helped, saw the head of the course at the time, who's the uh, wonderful David Edwards, and I said, listen, this is not really why I came here. I wanted to do, and I said, well, well, why did you come here? 
plant devil said advocates and I know David knew exactly what I wanted to yeah. do and I said well I want to do line design he said okay fine um, and next thing they sent me to Hungary <laughs> so that's not the most obvious outcome of that conversation no but that's exactly what they did at that time they had, we had a, a, a Hungarian tour that happened every year with this extraordinary director Peter Fekulty um, it takes a bunch of college students to Hungary and we tour you tour Hungary in the back of a van which was just unbelievable absolutely unbelievable and by, to this day, I, I still think it's one of the, I mean, it's it sort of, it hasn't happened, I don't think, in the last few years. Um, but it was one of the most eye-opening, draw-dropping experiences of my entire life, still to this day, um, of touring, sort of, of touring Hungary in sort of pre, in 1998, 99, you know, still very much a communist, mm. sort, of, sort of that sort of pre uh Communism and that all that feel of it was still is still very much was still very much evident, you know, in terms of of, every, of the economy and everything and the, the architecture. But um, but it blew, yeah, and so I went I went as a lighting designer for uh, Judith Howard Barker play, um, and that was sort of what that's and from that they were like, oh, okay, 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 you're 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 proper serious about this, right? You know? Okay. Um, and then, so, and then, so that was sort of the end of my first year. And then, for for my remaining time at the college, um, I specialised in lighting design. So they put me into each every venue they had. So their sort of main space at the college, their sort of main space that they were and still are very strongly connected to the Sherman Theatre, right across the way that Rachel O'Reardon is now head of. And yes, indeed. Off the back of her Olivier, indeed. <laughs> That's incredible, fantastic. Um, so with the so yes, yeah, so we got put in there in both spaces in the Sherman. The sort of small studio space, the hungry tour, um, and the and the um, David's Hall, which is very similar to our waterfront hall okay. here in Belfast, same architects, so two thousand seat um, conference venue. Um, you know, they they put me in there as a, a lighting designer. So you know that that experience was to say that doing you know the hands on learning yeah. and then having sort of supervisors coming in and saying you know, yeah or nay or go for it or. Well, that worked well, didn't it, or whatever. So, so I, I, had, I, had a one, I had a one, I had a wonderful time. And in the way that when an actor finishes up there three years, there's an audition showcase, there's agents, and you go and try and crack it. Yeah, or yeah, if yeah. I was a writer, I can submit to a literary department here and there. How does a lighting designer go from graduating <laughs> from three years ago and okay, how do I go and make this work? But I, well, we, this is sort of pre-digital photography, you know. So we, you know, you didn't like now you can sort of document. You have very. You know, to be able to produce a proper portfolio is, is much easier, and because yeah. everybody, you know, we can take it on your phone or whatever. Um, so I remember having to pay, like, pay for photos through the college of of of, um, of my shows, and that is that age old problem of a production photo or a production shot isn't necessarily the stage. You know, yeah. it can be sort of very sort of heavy. You know, either towards the actors or a single or a certain element of the show rather than the bigger pictures what which is kind of what you need uh, if you're trying to showcase um, a lighting design most of the time I mean there's some there's some obviously some production shots are uh, you can clearly see it's it's the lighting design strong in it um, so there wasn't really I mean I, I gathered a few sort of photos but it was just kind of being able to say I've done this I've done that yeah. you know I've done that and people go okay yeah fine because that because it was from I was again very lucky to from leaving college in 2000 to go on straight into a full-time job um, at the Lyric at the Leicester Leicester Haymarket um, 
produce, you know, rep theatre up in up in Leicester as a studio technician, uh, and that was through sort of the bat off the back of one of my tutors saying you should really go for this yeah. this job, and him pushing me um, to, to go for it, and then just going up and saying, well, listen, I've got this experience, I've done this, um, these sort of light designs, so they 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 sort of know from that where your where your head's at and mm-hmm. where you're talking. So it, it's it was much less based on the visual aspect of, of me kind of having to prove my worth in yeah. terms of imagery or it was more I mean, sort of more talking about it really and that sort of level they were just interested in somebody who's keen who's able who knows sort of the tech side of things you yeah. know to that sort of in that sort of entrance level kind of technician where you put into a studio space and you're working with touring, touring companies coming in and you work your way up through that so so I never went in as a lighting designer Right. You know, it was very much a technician. So it's that kind of older school route of kind of knowing that's what I wanted to do, but also knowing when I left college. I mean, again, one of the wonderful things about the course of college, they were very clear to you about the sort of the real world mm. and that you may be a a star here on top of your game, but you're going to come out and go right back down to <laughs> cleaning the fridges, you know, and that's always the the analogy they um they taught us you know it's better, you better get used to making cups of tea yeah you know and we were like but we were we were like okay okay cool okay yeah. okay fine okay cool that's what it is fine no problem I'll be making tea in the most extraordinary places with the most wonderful people um and you really bought into that well I, I did I I did I was like yeah fine um so I knew I wasn't going to be able to call myself a light designer for quite some time okay. and I'd actually had no idea what that time frame was because it's sort of what, 2000, so 17, 18 years ago, it didn't really matter either. You know, you're doing it. And I was having, you know, I was having a great time. So I wasn't, I wasn't getting nervous about, oh, I haven't had, you know, a light design, I haven't done a light design for a while. I was really, really happy with where I was. And again, that kind of, like being in the pub with these sort of extraordinary theatrical people, just soaking in these essences of stories and kind of bits and pieces and, just absorbing, 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 you know. So I was really happy in that environment. Um, and I got to work with some extraordinary touring companies that came into the studio at Leicester. Um, some incredible children's theatre work, you know, the professional shows we did. I mean, when I joined Leicester, we were producing upwards of 14 shows a year. Jeez. Alone in that building, you know, with a lot of them um, going into London. You know, we were the kind of testing ground. Yeah. Pre- West End for a few, you know, Mac and Mabel, Guys and Dolls, all started at Leicester. Wow. Um, we'd, you know, we had extraordinary people and directors. And so the environment was, was just second to none, you know. And again, I was there, you know, by myself, living the dream, literally, you know. When then for you did you get to one, knowing that you would be cleaning fridges and making coffee, at what point did you go? What was the, the trigger for you? you? Went okay, no, now this is for real. That I've, I have enough lighting designs under my belt that I can call myself a proper lighting designer, or where you just where you felt confident enough in in your work to go. Okay, no, this is yeah. who I am. I can stand on this, my own two feet. With it. Um, honestly, last not, year, <laughs> last, yeah, yeah, I, I still am. Um, not for a long time. Um, maybe. Okay, actually, I can put it. I can put a, a date on it. And that would be two thousand and seven. And I can tell you a bit about that. So, um, so I was in Leicester from 2000 to 2003 and the theatre closed and we all got made redundant, um, which at the time was, was very hard, but actually probably in that, in, with hindsight, probably a good thing because I could have quite easily have stayed there for another couple of years. Sure. 
Um, so I then I moved to London and worked in London as a technician and at that time a sort of a production electrician, so touring, taking big shows out um, around the place. And I sort of found myself based pretty much at the Young Vic in London. Um, with the friends I was living with, we all sort of upped, literally all, th- all three of us upped and moved down. Um, and then I spent a long time in London again just learning learning the graft, you know, learning through and picking mm-hmm. up bits and doing a lot of relighting um, for various different people and picking just sort of pinching little bits and having my own little bits as well. But yeah. I was always, I was never, I am, a, I am, a, I'm, you know, I am a lighting designer. Um, but so I did say that went on, I carried on until 2007. So I was in London for four or five years uh, until the rep experiment actually, which I know a few people you've had on before. Yes, spoken about, uh, you know, produced by Maura O'Keefe and Kate Ferris was on it and all the, Paul Keoghan um, was the designer and lighting designer. And I remember that sort of being my first sort of professional debut back on the island of Ireland, um, having been away, because it was always my end game to come home. Okay. That was always the deal. Um, since I was very young, I was always even with the shiny bright lights of the West End. Uh, very much so. Really? Very much so. Well, I've, 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 I have unbelievable faith in Irish theatre, and what we mean, and we are world caliber in so many aspects of this of this industry. So many. A second, it, without a doubt, it's, it's it's the easiest thing in the world for me to commit myself to what Irish theatre has brought to the world, and what we still have, and what we can bring to the world. You know. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, totally. Totally. I haven't done that. I haven't been there and haven't been in the West End and worked in those shows gone and then come home and go, Actually, yeah, that's fucking, yeah, that's that's it. Like that's all it is. It's what we're doing. You know, if you you know, with the people we're here, we have. Um so that was always the game to come home. So go away, learn my trade and come back and the rep experiment um allowed me that little door to come back and I, it was because it was a, a chance meeting with um Dara McKeown. I think is a novelist now. I don't remember Dara, director. Yeah. Because um, it was Dara, um, Tom Creed, and David Horan were the three directors. Yeah. Um, but I'd met Dara in London at the Young Vic. And he said, and actually it was Dara who put me in touch with Maura and said, listen, I've just met this guy. He wants to come home. Uh, and I said, well, we're doing this thing. I said, come over. And um, it was, so it was through that and then through um, the rap experiment. I said, my, uh, con- that's where I first met Paul and began working with Paul um, to meeting people like Joe Mangan yeah. you know all these people came to see that because it was quite it was a, you know, it was a really good buzz about about the project and that was my kind of debut but I remember coming off the back of that and saying to the three guys um, the three directors going listen I want to come home but for me to come home I don't want to come home as a technician I want to come home as a full flat, you know, I'm a lighting designer. But they had just obviously been working with me for the last six weeks as a technician. So they said, well, um, well, that's, well, then you just have to make that choice very clear. Mm-hmm. And that actually was the point where I stopped all my sort of techni- technician, technician work um, and just bit the bolt and became and said, no, I'm, I'm a flat out lighting designer, you know. Um, which was scary. It was as scary as hell, you know, because you still have bills to pay. And <laughs> I was still living in London and... Yeah, to make that to kind of cut that out because that's how I made my living was by touring the world, touring the world with with various productions. So it was a big deal to kind of go, no, okay, I'm not going to take that work anymore because I didn't want to come home and people go, ah, oh, yeah, Kieran, this, I thought he was a techie guy, that techie mm. guy thing, or you know, oh yeah, no, Kieran, yeah, the lightning sound. I knew and I knew I was very aware that people you need to make that choice sometimes for people so they can see you as something. Yeah. 
because um, I remember having this like, sort of extraordinary conversation with Mark Thompson, um, the designer at the Mamma Mia and um, all these sort of huge sort of shows. We did a show of his that uh, toured and having a conversation in a bar about this sort of presenting who you are. Yeah. You know, whether you, you can present yourself as a technician or you can present yourself as a designer and what, you know, what do you want to do? And I remember going, okay, yeah, okay. Again, that sort of matter of factness. Yeah. Just, you know, we're going to have a ghost on stage. There's your ghost. Fine, okay, good. You know, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a technician or do you want to be a line designer? Do you want to be what you've been talking about? Because I was also kind of scared, terrified of it. For sure. And that thing of going, oh, I'm, 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 I'm a lighting designer now. <laughs> and what people would make of that. And that thing about, you know, having the courage to call yourself an artist mm. and the time that takes. And I really wanted to cement my knowledge of various, you know, aspects, all the aspects of theatre and all the techie, you know, all the technical things and have that, those skills to, as second nature. So then when I do go into theatre and I'm asking technicians to do something, I know what it is. I know mm. what I'm asking. And also that you understand, I guess, that it's possible. Yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. Talk to me then about how how do you design so well? Now, talk to me. About, talk to me about the process. What do you, what gets you excited about it? Where does it start for you? Do you like to be ultra collaborative? Do you like yeah. to run away on your own and do your own magic? Or like what? How? Where does where does it begin for you? Um, I think much well, much like. Everybody, it's, it's the script, it's the play, you know, it's the words, it's the words, and the and the relationship with the director. Um, so it's one of those two things probably happen very quickly together in terms of the director and the and the play and the script. So it'd be either, yeah, it'd be a sort of director sort of contacted me saying, "I've got this play, would you be interested in working with?" And for me, then it's that journey with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm told, I you know, yeah, collaboration for me is is the reason why I do it. Uh, by you know that's the reason why I'm part of this game is to be part of a team. Um, I don't have all the right answers. I don't think anybody does. But when we get into a room, it's about all of us putting it all on the table um, and talking about you know and just that kind of yeah, it's, it's being part of that team is so so important for me. So important for me um, to see that grow. And I think you know that's for me that's what makes theatre really stand out against the other genres in terms of film or TV is that we're a group of fragile, mixed up people <laughs> in a room creating something together. Yeah. And that environment of a tech, you know, where you're with some of your best friends in the world and, you know, on both sides sort of in the auditorium and on stage and we're making something that we believe in, you know. Uh, like you say, that sort of thing about, you know, the world leaders of what we do in, that, in many aspects. Of, of belief in what you know and having the strength to go no this this is great this is positive mm. this is strong this is worth it this is worthwhile and um, this is important to the world um, and we're, you know sort of being that in a room where I can see people's eyes you can you can get a you know you can get the vibe of somebody likes it or somebody doesn't like what you're talking about or what you're doing or what you're showing and then adapting and changing you know for me it's a totally organic process that changes through conversations with the director, but also when and also when I get into the rehearsal room, yeah, and I meet the cast and we talk with them. You know, if something doesn't work, it's my, it's my job for all of it to work together. It's not about, well, if you don't like it, lump it, or you know, you have to suffer for your art. I'm all about, we have to make this work as a team. You know, so and and in terms of that collaboration, for you for your own artistic voice, your voice as an artist, you 
you're juggling a lot of balls because it's the world that's there on page from the writer. The director's bringing their vision to it. Obviously, we need to be able to see yeah, the actors yeah, do yeah, stuff yeah. or whatever else. But so it feels like there's a lot of balls to juggle within that design brief for you. How do you feel like you have your own style that you bring to stuff or does it change project by project? I think it changes. I think it constantly changes. Um, I, it's interesting. I, I've thought about this sort of question of, of, of style and can somebody recognize your work? I don't think I'm the best person to answer that question. Right. I don't know. I don't ever think of my work in that kind of way. Um, but I've heard people say it about my work. Say, oh, yeah, I could I could recognize that as, as a thing. But I don't know what that is. I couldn't. And I wouldn't want to take that apart because that's oh, yeah. not the reason why I'm just I'm just doing, just doing what I do. <laughs> um, you know, and so it's not I don't I have no interest in trying to try and trying to dissect my style. But for me, it's 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 the it's the the important thing is the collaboration, mm. the communication that I'm communicating what everybody else is trying to communicate as well. Um, that I'm part of the story, that I'm telling the story that we're all there to tell, that I don't have an element of a story that's more important than anybody else yeah. or less. You know, I'm, I'm on that. I'm up, I'm, up there, I'm up there with you in my own way uh, and that we're all sort of working towards the same thing. That's why sort of the process for me is, is, is quite long sometimes in terms of it's it's in and out of different things of of the story and of the cast and how that changes with the, once we get into the room. So talk to me then about when you go and see something. Like, do you do you get blown away by other people's lighting designs? Do you of go, course, like, of so course. What excites you in terms of what you see up there as well? I think I remember working with again when I was at Leicester and working with a lighting designer called Jenny Kane. Who's one of the sort of four, who was at the time and, and still? I, God bless her. I don't even know if she's still with us. It was she was um, she was getting on a bit um, whenever I worked with her. But um, and I was working in the theatre, and I rigged the lights, and I focused the lights, and I was also working in the studio. So I wasn't. I was about for some of the plotting sessions and blah blah blah, and in and out of the room constantly. I could see all the jigsaw pieces go together, and then I remember coming, and then I went away and worked in the studio. And then I came back that evening or one of the evenings to see the show. And I remember just my draw hitting the floor in terms of, like, I I'd, I'd, like put together what she had made. Yeah. But when I saw the work, I was like, I have no idea how you've done that. Really? I have no idea what, you, what, what, how, what, how have you, you know, how have you done that? Extra, you know, this magic of in between the lines, you mm. know, and I, I, uh, I'm. So, I was so sort of blown away, um, and it wasn't. But that wasn't. That didn't make me then want to go away and try to dissect again. A sort of dissection thing. I was just. I was very happy with that. I was very happy to be blown away and mm. to know how much more I have to learn. You know, because um, I'm constantly. I was constantly. I still am. I think we all are. Sort of searching to learn and to learn and to pick up and just to be that sort of snowball. And I think that's how all sort of artists, in some aspect or form how we learn from either doing our own work or seeing other people something you say so I'm constantly I'm I desperately try to go in with a blank slate but I you know I have an an experience of being in that room that I do look at the lights I do look where stuff coming from I try to guess what the gel colours are (laughs) I do but it's just it's just what my you know that little bit of my brain's kind of constantly doing but I also I hope I think I allow myself to be impressed because there's nothing more 
uh, I, I love watching something that does that takes me that takes me to somewhere else that takes me beyond oh that's you know 201 in a source full of park um, of course I, that's what I want to go I want to be able to someone to kind of take me away from that yeah. and you know it's slightly harder you know if, if I know all those bits but the, and that does it does it happens it happens constantly you know what about then the the parallel track of set design and I guess in particular when you're doing both together versus just one or other on their own. Yeah. How does that fit in to, I mean, you talk about, you know, a background in art. Is it the same as kind of going from painting to sculpture, basically, in terms of the distinctions? Yeah, yeah, very similar, very similar. I feel, I think, with like I say, light and design is my first language and it's something I'll put my hands up and say, I've trained at this. You know, I've, 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 put the work in I've done my essays I've got my degree um, set design came much later in my career um, not entirely my idea but I fell into it somehow um, it was when I was in Leicester and uh, I was working with I became very good friends with a um, director called Iqbal Khan who was in Leicester at the same time and he was doing a director's bursary for a year and we became very good friends oh. and I had an exhibition of my paintings in the foyer and uh, and we were in the foyer one night, and he was sitting, and he was looking at me. He said, "Have you ever done set design?" And I was like, "No, no, no." And he was like, "Okay, okay." And then he came back to me about a week later and said, "Listen, I'm doing Madame Butterfly in London, and I want you to be the lighting designer." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, yes, yeah, okay, yeah." And he said, "And I want you to be the set designer." And I was, ah, here. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he said, I want you to design the set. And I was like, no, I'm not a designer. I'm not. He says, no, I've, I've seen your paintings. And you've got, and I was like, they're two different things. That's no, and I was, because I was very aware, like when I was at college, we had a whole design department that was, you know, with extraordinary designers. And like, I, I was like, I knew, I was like, I'm not that. I, I couldn't do that. And he says, no, 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 listen to me, listen to me. And he's a very persuasive man. <laughs> um, and he said, oh, no, I want it to be led by light, so I want light to be the architecture. So I want a very plain, very simple space, but that we use light. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. So I thought I went away and I he thought... He knew what he was doing, He's man. a very clever man. <laughs> He's a very clever man. Uh, so I went away and I was like, okay. So I thought about it and I kind of clicked into this kind of long-term life relationship now with Mark Rothko in terms of the painter. And I kind of clicked. There was something about that sort of element, of the sort of architecture of that. Um that I, went, I did some drawings and I went back to him and I said, oh, what do you make of this? With this, with this? Is this what you're talking about? And he said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So we went, we went to meet and we did it in London and it was, it worked, uh, it worked, it worked, it worked really well. Um, and that kind of, and literally just snowballed from that. So then we went on to work together at the National in London um, with Harold Pinter being Pinter's last um plays that he was ever in rehearsals for wow. um, as a designer but so working with that sort of element what, what Iqbal really keyed into was light first and then the sort of architecture of the space around it but that's sort of how it began but, and as, as I've kind of grown with experience it, that sort of beefed out a bit and I, I feel much more confident in terms of space in terms of architecture in terms of walls and roofs and all that you know those basic very basic elements that we you either have or you don't have so I think but I think my spaces in terms of the designs I make still rely very heavily on light and that being I always kind of have to talk this through in terms of model presentations that there's so much 
more to what the cast is seeing yeah. um, to what they see in terms of the model box in terms of the physical architecture of the space that light will also have this other journey which is kind of obviously tricky to do at that sort of scale um, so I'm not a kind of I'm not a designer that will obsess over the finite details of you know Renaissance Italy or whatever that kind of and you know if, it, if somebody came to me with that type of play or Renaissance play or something I said I'm not, I'm not your guy like I'm yeah. not I'm not that type of designer. I'm, I'm more literally the bigger picture, you yeah. know. So um, it is about that space and about how the cast move and live in this environment, you know, is, is, is that relationship to whatever architecture we use to define the space they're in or not and how, and how it's lit. So. so then I want to chat about the globe <laughs> yeah. because... Uh, there must be a particular set of, as we know only too well from recent uh, events, there must be a particular set of challenges in terms of tackling design for that space. Yeah. What's yeah. it like to approach it? And d did it surprise you in how it opens up new ways of that, doing things? Uh, yeah, or? absolutely, absolutely. I, I was kind of, I was a bit of a snob about the globe, a theatre snob about the globe. I was sort of like, ah, Shakespeare, Disneyland, yeah, you know. I Shakespeare, Disney, I love I it. Di I just didn't buy, you know, it was built in 96. And it's just, I was really kind of a bit snobbish about it. Especially as I was around the corner in the Young Vic, you know, we were producing what we were doing at the time in the Young Vic. And then you had these sort of, the globe and I was kind of I was very aware there were two very different audiences and they, that you know the, the type the type of audience that went to the globe wouldn't necessarily come to the young Vic um and I was very much on in the camp of the young Vic in terms of what we were doing and exploring European third theater and the world theater and blah 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 um that's not to say I didn't like Shakespeare I had a huge amount of respect and love for Shakespeare but the globe in itself as a, as a, as a thing I was I didn't really buy into it and, and paid sort of very little interest to it, and, and certainly in my time in London. But with um, with Emma coming in as uh, artistic director and Iqbal then becoming uh, getting um, the gig there with Macbeth, sorry to say it in the theatre, um, kind of made me go, okay, well let's yeah, of course, okay, okay, let's let's see what this is about because I, I was interested in terms of the the architecture of the global space and how that how literally the architecture of that space has been formed by the words on the page in terms of this sort of main entrance upstage, these two smaller entrances upstage, upstage left, and how Shakespeare has written these journeys into mm -hmm. his plays, you know, uh, you know, exit stage left, pursued by a bear, and that's the door that they left by, you know, and how his plays, and how the, the, the space informed the play, or, or vice versa, you know, I was intrigued by okay, if you have this big entrance upstage centre, does that mean what is the time, what's the journey time between somebody very important coming on stage and what they have to say and when they hit the centre stage and, you know, all these sort of things that, that are born from this space. Um, and I have to say, I was very impressed when I first, when we were in there with our first audience. There's a very, very special vibe in that in that space um, with, you know, the groundlings, the standing seats and then sort of, the wooden benches as they go up and just that immediacy with the audience and how you, you learn how all that stuff works now you know what the soliloquies were what these asides were because you were literally talking to somebody <laughs> yeah. in front of you somebody going okay well, tell me more about him why is he going over there as well blah 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 and all that you suddenly go okay this all makes sense now now it's no longer these dusty words on a page that mm. you've been forced to read at some horrible school um, they're real and you can see these people doing these things in front of you 
Um, so the the environment of that was was extraordinary, and and we were at the time we were part of now a very specialist niche where we had the toys. Yeah, we were allowed to do a set, and we were allowed to light. Because um, the the globe itself, in terms, it's not. I'd been I'd lit I've lit I've lit outdoor productions before, and I've obviously I've lit productions inside. But the globe's a very sort of particular mixture of both. Yeah. Because of how the roof, because the roof obviously doesn't fill the whole space. It's only half a space. Um, so that that actually works quite oddly in terms of how the, the sun rises and falls and where the shadows are and all that kind of stuff. So it was actually, yeah, you had to kind of, it was a steep learning curve in terms of being in that space and going, all right, okay, oh my God. Strange things like if it was extraordinarily bright, if it was an extraordinarily bright day, it could be extraordinarily dark on stage. You know, okay. this, by the way, the, the shadows and the way the space, the building and the roof uh, worked. So you're kind of like, oh, OK, that doesn't make any sense. Right, okay. And actually, I had to go back and relight the show three or four times because it ran for four months. So you worked as, the as the seasons yeah. change. Wow. So I had to, we had to go back and relight it, which is a wonderful experience. That's not something I get to do. Yeah. I don't get to go back to see shows ever. You know, so it was wonderful to go back and even see how things have speeded up or slowed down or, you know, they're now taking a bit more time over this exit or they're not you know so even all those little things you can go in and sort of tweak again which is gorgeous and obviously then just like you know to lift the levels and to do a bit more of that and we did like midnight showings of it and stuff which was extraordinary but it was yeah so I, I walked away very humble by my previous opinion of it I, th- I thought I was I was totally sold um, I was able to bring my daughter there and to show her you know to be on stage with her at the Globe and um, and the show did very well and yeah I I absolutely, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, I want to talk to you about ongoing artistic collaborations mm. and kind of and the benefits of coming back to work with people again and again versus the more ad hoc infra production and yeah. kind yeah. of style that it can be. Um, do you prefer that kind of ongoing collaboration that kind of builds over a while? Uh, abs- yeah, abs- absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think as I get older, I'm finding that I just love the relationship I've built I've built up over time. Yeah. Um, I just love that shorthand and that warmth you feel with somebody you've been on that journey before with and had the battle scars. And yeah. going, right, here we are again. We've been in the trenches We've together. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I love I love that stuff because um, I, feel, I, yeah, I feel it's a terrible waste if, if you've sort of had those experiences and then you never get to work with the person again or see them again. I, I, that does genuinely break my heart. So I love, yes, I love these sort of, I'm very, very lucky to have a number of these sort of collaborations now. Um, so one of the most important, obviously, is my relationship with uh, Prime Cut um, here in Belfast and um, Emma Jordan and Una Nikion and these fantastic uh, warriors of theatre. Oh. And, um, and they're my, you know, as I've as said before, they're, what I would consider my sort of theatre home, my theatrical home. Not yeah. only in terms of them as people, but what we as a company produce, the work we sort of pinpoint ourselves to, um, which is so intensely thought out, so meticulous in terms of Emma's programming and thought and reasons why and tapping into the zeitgeist of a very messed up society at the moment and... Um, and for the last for the last while, um, you know, I, I'm constantly energized and constantly inspired by whatever it comes to the table with in terms of I'm thinking about doing this or let's do this. And you know, there's very few people 
I would consider myself that connected to theatrically. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm immensely proud of that. And I think, and I, I know that her the feelings are mutual in terms of we will vision, envision something together, which is slightly different for a lot of other directors where they may be a step ahead of where I am called into. Yeah. Um, but I feel with them in terms of that, we, we, we both, we live in the same city and we work together so much that we're, you're con- we're at that embryo stage constantly now, which is so exciting. Um, and it's, you know, you can, and you just get to link threads through your, you know, if we're in, and if we're stuck in a certain place in a production or with something, we can always reference, oh, do you remember the time and thing? We could, why don't we try that? And we're like, okay, that worked or whatever. Yeah. Or for me to that say again, that's shorthand, because those tech times are so incredibly tight on time that you kind of, you kind of got to get it right first or second time um, to allow you to any sort of chance to develop it. So it's a, it's been able to have that short time with somebody to go, right, okay, well, I'm thinking of doing this. Do you remember how we did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you can just kind of, you can cut all that air out and just get straight to what you're trying to produce, you know. And then you can both surprise each other, you know, in terms of pushing each other, going, right, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to do what we did with that, with that. I want to try something completely new. And then to understand what that is in terms of what we've done before. Um, it's so exciting and so invigorating for me as an artist and it's a privilege you know, it's an absolute privilege you talked earlier about having no qualms about coming back from the bright lights of the West End to Irish theatre because what we make here is world class yeah. um, I think some people might have presumed that okay well if we're going to take the in inverted commas step down from London then the most it can be would be to Dublin because God knows you couldn't be anywhere outside of <laughs> Dublin but then I think in terms of the the ecology of Irish theatre, when you have powerhouses like Pat Kiernan and Corkadorka down in Cork, yeah. or Gary and Druid in Galway. Yes, like, yes, yes. Uh, you know, or, or like, and the same for you guys up here in Belfast. Like, yeah. There is enough work of staggering quality throughout the island. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that being based here is a real option. But I'd, I'd love to chat to you a bit about how challenging or otherwise it is to be here, particularly at the moment, in terms of just the kind of the ecosystem. Uh, here, it's yeah, it's it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard just because of so we're in such a state of flux. It's it's not even a joke. Um, having just recently been battered yet again. Um, as I was saying, I think we sort of mentioned before we started the podcast about I think we've lost twenty three million pounds since two thousand and twelve in the art sector in Northern Ireland alone, which is obscene in terms of the companies that we have here and the size that we have here. Um, to have to take that kind of whack is yeah. is mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling in terms of what the arts mean. I mean, when I when I was when I went away, when I left, so when I grew up in Newry and sort of witnessed and was part of that incredible artistic ecosystem that Newry is a huge centre of. Um, it was it was without a doubt to me what we were capable as a country. But yeah. I was very linked into Dublin. And very linked into the West and very linked into obviously the playwrights we had and the music and all that kind of stuff was very much second nature to me. So when I went away, I was never, ever intoxicated by what I saw in London. It was always, say, always, always to come home. Because for me as an island, we're all the same. And actually it was one of the things that did take me me by surprise when I came back was was actually the border. Mm. Um because in my mind there wasn't. I mean, I, I, it's funny when 
you know, I grew up on the border. So it was almost <laughs> like I can't see it because I'm stood on top of it. You know, it was never part the of woods my, for the trees. Exactly. It was never. Yeah, because we went to Dublin. You know, Dublin was our big city because, you know, in the time of the um, early 80s, you know, we, we kind of, <laughs> for obvious reasons, we kind of avoided Belfast. But so Dublin was our port of call in terms of the big city. Mm. Um, so to go, so go into the Abbey to see um, translations and all that. That was that was that was our school trip. It was you know it was just literally jumping a mini minibus and go down the road. So when I came, but I was also obviously part of the north and sort of very aware of what was happening in Belfast and these extraordinary sort of phoenixes of arts, you know, rising through Charabang and all these extraordinary companies up here. Um, the lyric at that time and um, so in my mind there was no there was no line, there's no division. It was all we were all one wonderful big family. Until I came home, and I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so there's very much a line in the sand, you know, and which kind of disheartened me at the time. But now, and again, that's something I know Emma and Prime Cut are very staunch about is try, is breaking that line. And like yourself being here today and yeah. being with the good father in the studio, and, you know, I know you're from that sort of line that it doesn't, it's not, it's not there. We need to kind of get this uh, dialogue. And Jimmy, Jimmy Fay, you know, all these sort of people. And I think we're, very slowly getting there but that was something that was very hard from an artistic point of view is that we were very I felt you know there was two camps suddenly yeah um and I was like but we are but you know we're, we're all we're all producing the same thing aren't we um so I found that difficult in terms of going backwards and forwards because I was still very much lucky enough to have um connections with both sort of Dublin um and Belfast through through Emma and then Dublin through um my experiences with the rep experiment that then went on to obviously working with the Performance Corporation. On some spectacularly good shows, it has to be said. <laughs> um, and, you know, all that art scene down there. So, I, I, you know, I've always felt myself very lucky that I've been very sort of proactive in keeping my bridges open and my connections I have with England and Wales and Scotland and Dublin. So, that the, yeah, this, the difficulty for me was that kind of why aren't we talking to each other? Why aren't these, why aren't we bringing these shows here? Or why, you know, that it was quite insular in its own in its own way I, I find strange didn't didn't compute when for me it was all about telling stories and communicating and connecting with people that we were suddenly all quite small and close mm. and just telling every stories to ourselves I thought oh well no well that's not that's not what we're here for really I said no although a lot of those stories are very important to the people who are immediately in front of us but I was also like no come on this would be brilliant and wherever you know yeah wherever Given that you have had the level of success that you've had, and by that I mean working on the biggest, most prestigious stages in the world, winning awards left, right and centre, and all the great things that go along with that, as you look ahead now, what are you still excited about or hopeful for, for you as an artist? God. Yeah, big questions yeah. to finish. Big questions yeah. to finish. <laughs> oh, um... I think as I get older, the things that excite me most about what I do are the process and how I get to somewhere now. So the journey off that's kind of the people I work with, um, the venues I'm in, the stories I'm telling. I, I'm I'm becoming more obsessed by how what we do in the rehearsal room now, what we do before that, than necessarily it all being about the tech, we're all going yeah. together. Um, and I think that comes from having the sort of um, the wonderful experience of being able to design as well as light. Because um, for a lighting designer, it's all about the tech. 
you know, you, you don't really. I mean, there's there's certain visualizing software that's, that I don't buy into uh, <laughs> that you can kind of produce. Uh, for me, it's about putting it in. This, you know, get down the stage and go right. This is this is where you're at. This is what this looks like, and showing that to the director, and they either like it or whatever. Um, but I think being able to do both now, in terms of being able to embed myself as an artist, as a theatre artist, to be part of different conversations. I mean, I've just had my first experience at Anna McCarrick right. there a couple of weeks ago um, in in conversations with, with Prime Cut about sort of the future of kind of how we enable artists to continue what they do, how we, because they, Prime Cut run an extraordinary programme called the Reveal Programme where they are able to support certain artists to do what they do. So they, you know, um, so they can financially help somebody who wants to be a playwright or somebody who wants to, you know, be a choreographer or whatever. Whatever they want to do, they're able to go, right, okay, here's a bit of cash. We'll mentor you. We'll talk you through this. But we allow you to kind of keep at this thing because yeah. we think you're extraordinary. Um, so it's the, being part of those conversations really excite me that now it's not about the big lights of Broadway or West End or whatever the thing is. It's it's my relationships and what I can bring to the table that's not those things. It's yeah. not about lighting cues or, or whatever. You know, it's about the art and about the stories you're trying to tell because that is for me the end game of what I'm trying to do is just tell stories and be part of a room and for that to carry, you know, for that to kind of have some relevance in terms of what other people pick up on. And it's not just about, you know, one one element of it at all. It's much, it's a much bigger conversation. And particularly now in the in the sort of times we live in, having, trying to have some sort of say about that, about, you know, I'm not necessarily meaning a political force, but kind of having a voice and going, this is not good enough, hmm. you know, I have children now. I'm a father. Do I want you know what's this, what is the society we are about to we are shut we are fastly hurtling towards? What is that society going to look like if we don't support the arts? If we don't support what is happening in these stories? If we're not if these things aren't promoted, aren't support you know aren't kind of given some sort of help? What is that future you know? Yeah. And and uh, that's my that's my thing that, that that's what fires me at the moment is that being part of that those conversations. And being allowed to be part of those, you know, and we do that from various different, to say, uh, trips down to McCarrick or conversations in the pub or doing plays or doing shows here or going to see things. You know, it's it's much bigger than just doing five or six plays a year or whatever, or getting two line designs or whatever. It's it's a much, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm say, in terms of the, the bigger picture, you know, it's being part of the conversations, being proactive and kind of going, no, I believe in this. I believe what I do is important. Yeah. Um, and that took some time. That takes that took time to figure out as well. Um, so I'm hoping this, so that's what I'm excited about. That will hopefully grow into the future. Well, I certainly look forward to a future that has you that proactive in it. I look forward to it. Kieran, thank you so much for going well, on the podcast. Thank you, Ringo. Absolute joy. Thank you. Thank you very much. So there you have it, the great Kieran Bagel. So wonderful to catch up with him up in Belfast. So great to have that chat and so wonderful to hear him talk about Irish theatre in the way that he does. I think a lot of the time here on this island we might get a little bit seduced by the bright, shiny lights of the West End or of Broadway. But to hear a guy who's been out there doing it come back and tell us that, you know, when you see it there, it's us at our best is as good as anyone at their best and his pride in the work that he makes here is something that's really important to me as a message to send out to people going 
we are good enough, we are enough, the work we make here is of an incredibly high standard and we should be proud of it and let it stand on its own two feet. Uh, I absolutely love Kieran, so wonderful to hang out with them and, uh, and a really inspiring chat. And so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings-on around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, our national theatre, we have on Raftery's Hill... At the Gate Theatre, we have Assassins featuring the brilliant Rory Corcoran, Jer Kelly, Ruth McGill, Avi McCann, the brilliant Kate Gilmore, and of course, Rise Productions regular Rachel O'Byrne, along with a whole host of others. It's an incredible cast. I can't wait to go and catch it when my tour schedule allows. At the Gaiety Theatre, we have Sean O'Casey's The Plough and the Stars, starring the phenomenal Ian Lloyd Anderson, even if he is from Baldoyle, the brilliant Kate Brennan, and a whole heap of others. At the Borgosh Theatre, they have the last few performances of Matilda, and that'll be followed by Giselle from English National Ballet. At the Mermaid, they have The Importance of Nothing. That'll be followed by Everybody Sings. At Theatre Upstairs, they continue with Electric by Ali Hardiman. Then at the New Theatre in Temple Bar, it's The Curse of the Button Accordion. At Smock Alley, they have Pilgrim starring Rex Ryan, written by Philip Doherty and directed by the brilliant Aoife Spillane Hinks. That's a show that I saw first a couple of years ago and Rex does a phenomenal job in that. That is certainly worth going out of your way to go and catch. Uh, also at Smock at the moment they have hashtag relationship goals. At the Pavilion in Dunleary they have Here All Night, they have Star Chasers and that'll be followed by Nora which is touring around the country at the moment and of course Maz and Bricks which is also on tour. At the Driacht in Blanche where we were last night they have No Smoke Without Fire from the brilliant Mary Murray and that'll be followed by the successful TD by John B. Keane. At the Viking in Clontarf they've got the last couple performances of The Dumb Waiter and that'll be followed by a two week stretch of Rise Productions bringing you the good father so for all you dubs out there this is your chance to come and catch the show two weeks solid in the Viking in Clontarf it's about 15 minutes from the city centre jump on a bus jump on a dart do whatever you want to do we'd love to see you out there it'd be great to have you at the Dolman out the south side in Cornell's Court they have My Fair Lady starring the living legend and I don't use that term loosely that is Des Kyo at Bewley's Cafe Theatre back in their home on Grafton Street they have Normal by the great Katrina Daly that's starring Port Marnock's finest Quiva O'Malley and the exceptional Karen Ardiff and that'll be followed by Des's production of My Fair Ladies at the Project Art Centre in Temple Bar the Live Collision Festival is about to take off a whole heap and a varied mix of shows there check out Project's website for more details on that and then as we head south to Cork at the Everyman Michael Murphy is there with the Man of the Woman's Shoes and I Hear You and Rejoice that'll be followed by Autumn Royal and um, then as we head across to the sunny southeast the Theatre Royal in Waterford uh, tonight we'll have The Good Father and tomorrow evening we will be at the Visual G.B. Shaw in Carlo with of course that production of The Good Father heading west to Galway at the Town Hall they have that touring production of Maz and Bricks coming up at the Lime Tree Theatre in Limerick they've got 448 Psychosis and Minding Frankie and then up north at the Lyric where we only just left earlier this week they have the Colleen Bond and again that touring production of Nora so that is us that is episode 25 in the books nearly at the halfway mark guys we will of course be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but in the meantime this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally I'm Angus Og McAnally we'll see you next week 